It's got a soul, this hero farm. It falls asleep inside my arms. We walk the fields under the stars. For love is here in Goldshaw Farms. Welcome to Goldshaw Farm. I'm your host, Morgan Gold. On each episode of our podcast, we bring you stories of people who are homesteading, farming, and chasing their dreams. And right now, uh, for today's episode, this is going to be a little bit more about uh, what we're doing here at Goldshaw Farm and what we're doing as we're chasing our dreams. Um, You know, I, I actually am just sitting here in my office here in our old, old farmhouse. Uh, this house was built in like 1830 uh, or 1830-something. I don't even know the exact year. Um, it's way too big for two people to live in it, but uh, one of the advantages of that is I'm able to dedicate a lot of space to random things like having an actual office inside of our house, which is sort of this luxury I've felt like I've never actually had. Um <laughs> So I guess the reason I wanted to talk to you guys today is because I'm sitting up here and I'm doing a lot of planning and I'm doing a lot of thinking about some of the big projects and things that I want to do with my farm uh, this year and, and kind of the transformation I want to undergo, the goals I want to achieve. And, and I'm in that earliest of stages. And Consider this episode of the podcast kind of a first in a series that you'll see happen throughout this year, where, you know, for us and what happens here at Goldshaw Farm, things very much go from this phase of planning to feasibility and implementation planning to actual execution to kind of evaluating and say, hey, how did it all turn out? And so I imagine I'm going to do probably three or four episodes over the course of this year that follow this same strand. So this is very, very much part one of that. And and it's all about my farm plan for 2020 and what we're doing in 2020. And I'm going to start today by talking a little bit about the big picture and what we're trying to achieve overall. And then I will get into some of the specific projects and and things that I'm looking at doing. Just know, though, that this is very much still a plan. It's all very much subject to change. But my hope is by by really talking through this stuff with you guys, you can see the the thought process I go through and maybe there's some uh, insights and, and ideas that you can glean by the way I think about things, as well as I hope to get some emails or Instagram messages or Facebook messages or even talk about it in the Facebook group um, to, to get some input and feedback on things that I'm maybe not thinking about with our farm that you guys are having ideas on. So this is very much meant to be an interactive conversation, even though this will probably be me rambling for about a half an hour. Um, I really do want to both hear your questions and let you try to get some value out of this, as well as for for you to give me feedback and advice because I think that two-way street is is frankly the beauty and advantage of doing a farm in the year 2020. So without being more rambling or doing any more setup, let's get into it. I guess the first thing I want to start talking about as I think about 2020 is I realize that the tick population is going to be going crazy this year. And uh, let me let me explain why. I know this probably seems like an odd statement and an odd place for a duck farmer to start off. Um, if you look at um, the fall of 2019, 
we had an absolutely amazing apple harvest. We had an outstanding year for acorns as well. And, and there were a crazy amount of uh, beech nuts on the farm too. And so all of these things are, are very much diet staples for a lot of the animals in the area. Uh, the deer feast on those sort of things. Rodents feast on those sort of things. And with a greater deer and rodent population means there's a greater coyote population. Um, and so, so just really, frankly, all the animals that you could have out there had just a great fall and plenty of food. And so unlike, say, the year before where everybody was really hungry and it was a very lean year, um, they went into the, the fall fully stocked. And while there's still plenty of time in winter and things could turn very ugly very quickly, this has been an exceptionally mild winter so far this year. We had a couple of small cold snaps, but they've been very short. We've gotten a little bit of snow here and there, but but frankly, there's probably not even a foot on the ground right now for the you know early to mid-February. That's very odd and very unusual. I think this time last year, there was about four feet on the pasture, and we didn't get any of that. So these two factors of an abundant fall harvest and a very, very weak winter is leading me to believe that uh, 2020 is going to be a year filled with all sorts of wildlife on the farm. And in particular, ticks. Ticks that can carry diseases like Lyme disease, but also just other general ticks and nuisances, as well as other general insects are going to be out there. Because again, the, the light, weak winter is going to make it uh, very, very feasible for um, all these animals to survive in greater numbers than they usually do as they overwinter. <clears throat> so <laughs> you're probably saying, well, why am I bringing all this up when it comes to the farm? I'm bringing it all up because as I'm thinking about the farm and my plans for the farm in 2020, I fully recognize that, frankly, all of these things are connected. So any decision I make from an infrastructure standpoint, any decision I make in terms of what to plant or what animals to raise, I know is going to have this connection to the broader ecosystem that is our farm that's going to impact the perennial plants on our farm it's going to impact the annual plants on our farm it's going to impact the insects on our farm and it's going to impact the uh, uh, I guess vertebrate animals on our farm and so all of these things are connected and and, and I just think that that's an important lesson an important place to start from uh, last year as I was going into the spring um, we had arguably one of the more traumatic experiences on the farm, and I've talked about it before in other podcasts, so I'm not going to fully belabor it, but you know, we, we got hit pretty hard by um, some predators, specifically a mink, and that set me on a journey last year where I really rethought some of my infrastructure and some of the security that I have around the farm. We built a much stronger, much more secure duck house to house our ducks, um, we uh, adopted a livestock guardian puppy, a uh, fellow by the name of Toby, who has absolutely become my, my constant companion around the farm, and I'm so incredibly happy to have him here. Even though at this time last year, I wasn't even contemplating the idea of getting a dog. Um, and, and so that activity, right? So you've got the wildlife impacting life on the farm, which is impacting the plans for the farm. That's something that I'm walking into 2020 with sort of eyes wide open. And I, and I feel like that was a lesson I learned last year and a lesson that I walked away with that I, I frankly 
wasn't very conscious of and uh, thinking about as I was doing my planning for 2019. And so I think, or at least my hope is, with each year I plan for this farm, I hope to get a little bit smarter and a little bit wiser and take a little bit big of a bigger picture. And, and so that's why I'm thinking in, in these holistic ecosystem terms as I'm planning for 2020. So, so what are my plans for 2020? Well, the biggest thing is this. I'm going to scale up the farming operation a little bit, but I'm not going to go crazy. I feel like I'm starting to stumble on the true business model of our farm. It's a real focus on raising birds for meat. Uh, as well as having uh, small operations related to eggs, as well as uh, small breeding operations. That feels like the core focus, particularly when it comes to the ducks and geese on the farm. Um, I I still have the orchard, I still have the trees, and I'll still be raising tree seedlings, and I will still be planting more trees. I won't be really harvesting much in terms of fruit. I might get uh, sort of some, some... harvest of elderberries, but it's going to be nothing to to build a business plan around. So when I'm thinking about the farm business, just know that the tree stuff is still there. It's in in the background, but it's not going to be a primary driver in 2020. The real primary focus is going to be on the ducks and the geese. And I plan to do a lot of hatching of ducks and geese. I also plan to buy and bring on several more ducks and geese from some hatcheries. But, uh, most of them are going to be raised for meat this year. Uh, I've found that ultimately that's the most profitable uh, way to to raise animals on the farm. Um, that's the most profitable market for the farm for sure. Uh, I also think that it helps keep our costs low in the winter when we don't have a lot of natural forage, yet it keeps our numbers much more larger and, and bigger as we get into summer and we swell up and we have all sorts of animals taken over. And so that's going to be the primary focus of the business. How many birds am I going to raise on the farm? I'm not 100% sure. I, I know that we're going to have uh, a lot, probably in the three figures range somewhere, but I'm still not 100%. Um, I plan to hatch most of the ducks myself, probably all the ducks myself. I, I'm, I'm intending to get a couple different breeds of birds, different breeds than I even have now. So on the, the goose side, uh, my intention is to raise or continue to raise pilgrim geese, which is the type of goose that we have on the farm right now. We're also going to raise Emden geese, which uh, we had started raising last year, and they were just a great meat bird to raise. Uh, we're also going to experiment with the Toulouse goose, um, which is another heavy body goose that is uh, it's sort of gray in color. I think they're really beautiful birds. And, and so raising both those Emdens and Toulouse, I'm hoping to see kind of which performs better. Um, and ultimately, that's going to be the longer-term breed of goose that I have here on the farm for meat production. Um, so, so that's my intention in terms of geese and breeds. On the duck side of things, um, I'm, gonna do be, I'm actually going to be doing a couple of things. And a few of them, are, I think, will be really interesting for folks to watch. Uh, one of them is I plan to continue to raise khaki Campbell ducks. Khaki Campbells are just excellent egg layer ducks. They're excellent foragers. They've got good sort of uh, heads up skittish instincts to keep them somewhat safer from predators when they're out in the pasture. Um, And and so I'll I'll definitely continue to raise them. I also will have uh, probably a handful of Pekin ducks that I continue to raise. Uh, Pekin ducks are, are the sort of the big fluffy white ducks 
when you think of like a traditional farm duck, you're, you're probably thinking of a Pekin. Um, they are uh, decent egg layers and they are really good meat birds. They're big, they're heavy. And, and I actually have this one Pekin Drake by the name of Samson. I made a YouTube video about it once if you ever want to check it out. It's pretty ridiculous. And he is just a gigantic duck, like enormous. The biggest duck I have ever seen, to be honest. And, uh, you know, I, I can't wait to see his jumbo offspring come. Um, but actually, I have a, an experiment that I'm going to try for a certain portion of the summer where I'm going to be housing Samson our big Pekin Drake with a handful of Khaki Campbell uh, females. And my hope is that I'm actually able to provide a, a hybrid bird that I can hatch out myself, where it'll you know have that Pekin father and Khaki Campbell mother. And I really am hoping for a nice, good, dual-purpose homestead bird with these with these hybrids. Um, you know, taking the big-bodied meat characteristics of the Pekin. And seeing if it can match and carry forward those uh, prolific egg-laying genetics of the khaki Campbell. This could be a miserable failure, and this could potentially just not work at all. Um, so I'm, I'm fully aware that this is, there's a risk, and this could backfire, and genetics are a very unpredictable thing. But I'm, I'm optimistic. I think, I think it's always very easy to be optimistic when you're at this time of year planning for what your farm's going to look like. And, and I'm most definitely at that stage of things. Um, I also plan to begin raising uh, Muscovy ducks. Muscovies, which are actually, they're, they're sort of a cousin of the traditional duck. They're not exactly of like that mallard line in descent, like most of our, our ducks, like most farm ducks are. Um, I think they're actually sort of genetically speaking, somewhere standing in between ducks and geese. Um, and, and the reason I'm planning on raising the Muscovies, you know, they're, they're solid egg producers and they are also very good large-bodied birds that are good for meat production. And, and I'm curious to see if they can actually do a better job than some of the other birds on our farm. And I might end up raising the Muscovy specifically for meat on an ongoing basis. But uh, this year is going to be my first uh, experiment with that. So ultimately, it comes down to that. So I've got on the goose side, the pilgrims, the emdens, and the Toulouse. On the duck side, it's going to be the khaki campbells, the pekins, the hybrid Cappy Campbell, Khaki Campbell Pekins and the uh, um, Muscovy Ducks. I might have a couple of other experiments in the mix there, but those are my main plans. In terms of where I'm going to brood them, because I'm going to be brooding birds on a much more regular basis than I did in 2019 or 2018, I'm actually planning on building a few freestanding brooders for the farm. Uh, and when I say freestanding brooders, typically what I've done is I've taken the old uh, sort of milk cooler room that we have here in our barn, and I sort of walled it off with chicken wire to try to keep any sort of predators out, and I've housed the baby birds in there. Um, it works okay. Uh, I will probably end up even using it again when I have sort of overflow hatching activity going on. Um the, uh, the downside to it is it's relatively small, so the area that I have for the brooder itself is only about six feet by six feet. And so as I get to have, you know, three-week-old birds, four-week-old birds, I can't have any more than, say, 20 in there or else it's, it gets a little overcrowded. Um, what I'm planning on doing, though, is building uh, brooder sheds. And, and so... This is going to be something different. I have seen some people do experiments something like this, but nothing exactly like this. Uh, again, this could be another miserable failure on the farm, but 
what I want to do is build uh, these sheds. And the shed is going to be a simple, basic shed, uh, probably something like an 8x7, 8x8 shed. Um, and I'm going to have it very close to electricity, which I'll, I'll talk more about that part in, in a moment. But uh, it's going to be close to electricity, and it's going to be something that I can uh, keep warm. I'll have heat lamps in there, and it'll have a nice floor. But then off to the side of the shed, I want to actually put uh, little tunnels. Um, they would be sort of uh, hardware cloth contained tunnels that shoot out from the sides of the shed. And, and this is where it's so much harder to communicate something like this in a podcast versus a video. But picture like a, uh, I don't know, four foot by eight foot little cage or pen that sits off the side of a little chicken sized door that's going off the shed. So if you will, so it basically is like an extension that it's sort of like a little hallway that shoots outside of the shed. I'm, I'm feeling like I'm doing a terrible job describing this, but hopefully you guys are picturing it. Um, I'll, you know what I'll do? I will actually draw a picture and I will link to it in the show notes so you can see what I'm talking about when I, when I describe this brooding shed. Um, and so anyway, I want to have these like little tunnels that shoot off the side of the shed and I probably have like two or three of them. And the idea is this. I have found that for that first week of the baby waterfowl's life, they just need to be inside. They just need to be kept dry. They just need to be simple. But the older they get, the more and more I find that they do better when I expose them to fresh pasture. And and so the idea would be um, as they get older, so like in weeks two, three, four, maybe even five, I might keep them in there as long. I'm going to let them go out into the pasture uh, inside these little tunnels and, and they will keep them safe and protected from predators. I'll probably have a cover on it to keep them dry in case it rains too. Uh, but they would be able to get warm and inside and I'd probably even lock them up inside at night. But then during the daytime when the sun's out and they want to run around and they want to get access to fresh grass, especially those, uh, baby goslings, they can just go right outside. And, and so this is sort of an evolution towards how I've been thinking about the brooder system. It's something I would have never come to as a conclusion if I hadn't done the previous couple of years of raising the birds the way I've been raising them. But I, I actually see a lot of potential, and I, I think this could be a very powerful tweak for how we ultimately do our brooding on the farm. And so I'm going to build at least one of these sheds. I probably will do two. Um, and the idea will be to have them kind of constantly raising baby birds. Those baby birds will start out in the brooders and they'll go out into the pasture. Kind of cool, right? So, so that's going to be one of the earliest projects I try to tackle this spring on the farm. Now you might be saying, well, what are you doing for power? What are you doing for water? You know, some of you probably see our videos and you see me constantly carrying buckets and buckets of water and say, I'm crazy and why am I not taking this farming thing seriously and digging water lines? Well, I will say that probably the biggest project that I'm going to undertake in 2020 is that I'm planning on digging some trenching for electrical and digging some trenching for water lines. And my intention is to have a water line that runs out to the duck house area, as well as a water line that runs out to where I'm planning to have these brooders, as well as having an electrical line that runs out to where I'm having these brooders, which is not going to be all that far from where the duck house is today. And, and the idea is I will have 
actual real power and infrastructure available for uh, what I'm trying to do here. You know, no more off-grid duck keeping. It's going to be... I don't, I don't know even how to describe it. I think it's going to be pretty a pretty radical change for me. It's going to be very different. Um, I, I have worked very hard on our farm and I've worked with an ethos of just getting it done and worked with an ethos of making minimal investments in infrastructure because I didn't know exactly what I want. But now that I have a couple of seasons under my belt and now that I am sort of refining my model for how I raise my birds... I'm, I'm getting more comfortable with taking the plunge on a few things. Now, that's not to say I'm, I'm, I'm feeling arrogant and feeling like I have it all figured out. Um, and that's not to say that this system won't change and kind of further evolve. I probably expect it to. But I'm feeling like uh, enough t- of, I've, I've done enough time of just sort of uh, dipping my toe in and working with light, flexible, very, very temporary infrastructure. And I'm going to take the plunge. And I'm going to start to put in more of that permanent infrastructure. That permanent infrastructure looks like these water lines. It looks like electrical lines. And it looks like, and wait for it, this is probably the biggest, this is the other biggest project I'm going to have on the farm, permanent fencing. So um, I have, for the last couple of years, become a master of working with Premier One's poultry netting. You know, the electric polywire fencing that is ubiquitous on poultry farms and homesteads all across America. Um, it's a good product in some regards. It's relatively inexpensive. It is very, very flexible. It can be shifted around and match your needs. It can be used to protect and care for a variety of animals. So, so those are all the good things. It also has some cruddy things that come with it, too. Um I say relatively cheap, but, uh, you know, it's not really that cheap. And, and so, you, you know, you don't want to buy too much of it or else you could, you know, really blow your business plans for your poultry farm. Um, I find that it's, it's heavy. Like, you know, if you're working with the uh, polywire netting that they have for sheep or if you're working with the cattle version of this, it's not that bad. It's pretty light. But the poultry one, because it's such a thick netting and because it's, there's so many crossings of it. Um, it's heavy and it's kind of hard to move and it's a pain in the neck. And, you know, particularly when I was raising the rotational geese this past, uh, um, summer last year, you know, you know, I was moving those fencing, I was moving that fencing every week and I was moving three long lengths. I forget even how long it is, but it was a, it was about an acre of land that I was fencing in each week. And, to have to move that each and every time would take me, you know, an hour and a half, two hours every week. And I don't know, <laughs> it just, it, it, it got to be a lot. It wasn't horrible, but it wasn't great either. It's, it was definitely one of my least favorite tasks of summer. Um, and, and so I, I call that out because, you know, I think I want to have some more permanent fencing in place uh, because the other downside that comes with the Premier uh, One netting that I should mention is that it shorts out really easily, particularly in the summer months when we've got tall grass and, and everything is just growing like crazy. I was constantly having to scythe or mow to keep a fence line clear and keep it away from any sort of grass to weaken its power. And even then, given how much fencing I was running, it got to be relatively dull. Like I could touch it and it would feel like a bee sting, but it wouldn't knock me on my butt. Um, and, and if I'm thinking about dealing with all the coyotes and bobcats and other things that we deal with, 
Um, you know, it was keeping my birds in, but I don't know how many predators it was really keeping out. Um, and, and so that's got me thinking a little bit of my fencing system and doing things differently. And then the other factor that comes into play, and this is this gets into why I started with talking about ticks at the beginning of this episode, is I've got a new apex predator that I have introduced to the farm, and I want to take full advantage of them. And, and that apex predator comes in the form of my guard dog, Toby. You know, Toby is about five months old at this point. He is... I, I am blown away with just how amazingly obedient and well-trained this dog is at this stage of the game. You know, I, I was really worried that he was going to be a nightmare, but he is arguably the best. I know, I know I'm know, i feeling really bad saying this, but he's probably like one of the best dogs, and if not the best dog I have personally ever owned. He, he listens to me. He follows commands really well. His temperament is amazing. And, and, and I just feel really, really lucky to have stumbled upon this absolutely incredible dog. And even as I've been training him through his puppiness and, and getting him used to being around the ducks and not misbehaving and doing all the right things, you know, and he's not been perfect, but he, he has been so easy and so adaptable and so easy to train that I, I've just been very excited by what he brings. And I know, as I think long-term, what I want having Maremma dogs, which Maremma is the breed that Toby is, um, is something I feel like is going to be a long-term part of my plan. And, and what I envision is this. I dream of having a pasture that has the perennial tree crops growing, whether it be chestnut or elderberry or mulberry or apple or Siberian pea shrub or uh, butternut or a host of other things all kind of growing in rows scattered throughout basically having a silvopasture type uh, uh, environment and I have geese and ducks free-ranging so not doing managed grazing but just letting them go forth and pick and choose whether they're eating insects off the pasture or they're eating um, you know fallen nuts or fruit uh, or just eating the grasses and weeds that are around there, or if I'm planting annuals that they're sometimes devouring, I, I actually would like to have their feed be derived just from the pasture, and I'd, I'd like to avoid having to plant or having to truck on grain, so I'd you know plant certain things too, even for them to eat. And they're just out there free-ranging. And I'm using Marama dogs, like Toby, to guard them from predators. And, and so... My biggest plan for, for 2020 is going to be, uh, I'm planning on fencing in about seven acres of pasture, um, pretty much from where the duck house is today, all the way back to the top of our silva pasture and where we have um, like our, our tree rows. So we have eight different rows of trees for our, um, uh, I guess called silva pasture. And, and uh, the last row is at the top of a hill. And so the fence line would end there for now. I'd have dreams longer term of expanding it out beyond that. And, and so that's, that would be the big investment that I make. And, and so the idea would be fence that in uh, with woven wire that's probably about five feet high. Probably run an electrical line along the top of it to keep things like the bobcats out. And let Toby just run guard duty inside um, probably in a year or two, I'd even add a second dog to uh, partner up with Toby and let the birds free range as they grow. And then 
bring them all together and, and harvest them. So that's going to be a big project that I probably undertake, uh, I don't know, in the summer at some point uh, in this year. And, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So got the brooding plan. I've got the um, infrastructure plan. I've got the fencing plan. And I think that last but not least, it leaves my harvesting plan. So some of the hardest things I've had to deal with with raising ducks and geese for meat is just finding a reliable processor for ducks and geese for meat. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really hard to pluck a duck or a goose. Um, because they are waterfowl, traditional scalding methods that are used typically on turkeys and, and, and chickens are, are much harder to perform. And the water doesn't penetrate as well, and it's much harder to get them plucked, and it's much harder to get a good, clean bird carcass. Like, you picture what somebody would want to buy at the supermarket. And and so that has been one of the biggest barriers to expanding out my waterfowl operation. I imagine that's why most people aren't really actively farming waterfowl, because they also have that similar problem. All of the USDA processors within, like, a three-and-a-half-hour radius of us uh, are refusing to do waterfowl for that very reason. I'm, I'm trying to find a potential processor and I'm going to continue to do that, but I still haven't had much luck. If somebody's out there listening to this podcast and they know of a place who is USDA inspected and who is willing to process waterfowl, please, by all means, send me an email, goldshawfarm at gmail.com. I really, really, really would desperately love to get in touch with somebody. But I'm also building out my farm plan, contemplating not finding somebody. And I want to try to do a little bit of more experimentation with how I process and sell my geese and ducks this year. It's going to be mostly geese, but also the ducks. And, and what I'm contemplating is um, actually harvesting the birds on farm and breaking them up and, and basically skinning them. So rather than doing what I would traditionally do, which is scald them and pluck them and have a skin-covered a, a skin covered bird be what the product is sold. What I would do is butcher them and skin them. I would take the skin and down and pluck them for down and let that be used for making pillows and blankets and other stuff. I would take the skin and I'd end up actually rendering that down and harvesting large quantities of duck and goose fat. And then I would actually look to carve most of the meat off the bones of the birds and use that meat in charcuterie. I've been talking to a couple of chefs in the area who do ducks in, or I'm sorry, who do charcuterie and a lot of them are like pork based products, but they're going to be experimenting with some ducks and geese this winter that I have stored up and we're going to see if we can come up with something. Um, and so, so that's one aspect of it. And then finally, with the bones and scrap, we will actually try to find a, a, somebody who might want to use it for stock or soup. And so this is sort of a different strategy. You know, typically small farms are raising birds like poultry for um, kind of the whole bird sale market that you'd sell at a farmer's market. This would be basically parting up the birds for various markets and, and finding ways to sell those pieces and maybe having some value-added products that we make ourselves here at the farm. And uh, I don't know. I don't know if this is going to work, but it, it's definitely something. It's, it's probably also the, the part of the plan that I'm least uh, certain about right now. 
but I see a lot of opportunity in, in, in potentially going down this route. So uh, that is, that's what we're going to be trying. <sighs> I know, I just threw a whole bunch of stuff at you guys. But, but basically, that's the farm plan. Um, invest in infrastructure, make sure I have the right stuff that I need, and find a new way to bring my products to market. If I can be successful this year in 2020, my hope is that I then scale things up probably five times the level I'm doing this year. And that would be really the place where I'm, I'm actually making a farm income that could have me farming full time. And so that would be sort of 2021, 2022 that I'd be looking at there. Um, I don't know if this is going to work. I, I, I'm, I'm making some financial investments. I think I've been very, very lucky with uh, the response that we've had from our YouTube channel, and that has given me some of the funding I've needed to make the capital investments in projects like fencing and, um, and water lines and electrical lines. And so it, it's it's just been a real, you know, blessing, uh, I guess is really the only word for it. And, and so I'm going to continue to go that route. Um, but, but there's some risk here. This could fail. This could not work. I could regret doing it, but I don't know. I, I feel like with the ups and downs I've had on the farm, I, I, I've, I've been able to learn a lot. And back to that point that I started with about thinking holistically and how all these things connect, I know that there's going to be some ripple effects that these changes make. And I'm just very, very focused on watching for them, identifying them and sort of uh, shifting and moving to match what's required of them. And, and so that's going to be very much the mindset I take with all of these things. So yeah, that's my 2020 plan. I, I, I'm very curious to hear what you guys think. Uh, shoot me a note. Um, and, and hopefully, I, I know right now, the, I guess the other thing I should note is um, we typically talk about our YouTube channel. I'm on a hiatus for the month of February for... Just a couple of reasons, you know, I just want to get some time away from making videos over and over again, just get some fresh ideas. Also, I wanted to take the time to really think through a lot of the things that I've been talking to you guys about tonight related to our infrastructure and what we're trying to do with the farm. And then finally, I've actually got a creative project in the works that I want to just give my full attention for like one solid concentrated month. And, and that's I'm actually writing a book. It's going to be like a children's book like not like a picture book children's book but like a a book about like you know i don't know like you know i was describing this in the youtube video like you know some of my favorite books are like the harry potter series and charlotte's web and uh ribsy by beverly cleary and uh mrs frisbee and the rats and nim um so so like kind of like a book for like a 10 year old kid um it's it's, it's one of those books so it'll, it'll be a real book book um, and I've been working on it. It's it's actually got a lot to do with uh, the story of Toby, our livestock guardian dog. Um, it should be fun. It should be kind of cute. Uh, you know, exciting too, hopefully. Um, and so I'm working on that right now. And so that's been my February project. And it'll be hopefully something that I, I try to bring to market uh, come this summer. So yeah, that's all I got for you guys today. Um, I will be back next episode with a guest, so you don't have to listen to me ramble every time, but I felt like it'd be good to, to tee this up for you guys, set the vision for what I'm looking to try to do with our farm this year. I will be back uh, with an episode sort of like this one where I'm, I'm just kind of running through the plans and the state of plans. 
um, in the springtime and when I'm actually in full on springtime uh, and, and kind of give you a sense of what's really going on and what the work plan looks like. Um, and then once we're in the middle of the work plan in the summer, I'll give you an episode. And then by the time we get through the fall and we're getting towards the tail end of the season, I will sort of recap how all this went. So you guys will absolutely be able to follow along on this one. Also, you can feel free to, if you don't already, subscribe to our YouTube channel. I'll be back making videos in March, but you'll definitely see some of this actually come to life. And yeah, I'll try to remember to post that picture of what the, uh, um, what the brooder house looks like and sort of my sort of goofy vision I have for it in my head. So yeah, that's it. That's all I got. Um, please, as you guys always do, leave reviews for us, rate us, share us with your friends and family. The more you tell people about this podcast, the more it keeps me motivated and keeps me making these episodes. I hope you guys find value out it out of it. I really enjoy making this podcast and I want to continue doing it. So so please continue to share. It really just helps keep me going. And I will be back really soon with another episode of the Goldshaw Farm Podcast, where we are bringing you stories of people who are homesteading, farming, and chasing their dreams. But until I'm back with that next episode, here's my good friend, Mr. Keith Pierce, to play our theme song. It's got a soul, this hero farm, it falls asleep inside my arms. We work the fields under the stars, the love is Farms, a city life, yeah, had its charms. But we would dream of the fields under the stars. I fall asleep inside its arms. The love is here at Goldshaw Farms. The love is here at Goldshaw Farms.